Alright, Matthew, welcome to episode 21 of the Performance Advantage podcast. Holy. And uh, welcome. You're here. Yeah, yeah, in Rotorua. Yeah, we I love don't... it here. I do love Rotorua, actually. I mean, who doesn't? Yeah. It's a mountain bike mecca. Mm, it definitely it is. is. MTB, PhD, like, hub. No, it's not the hub, really. No, it's not. But I'm the reason I'm here is for the New Zealand mountain bike hub uh, camp. Yeah. So uh, doing a bit of coaching for that, and um, yeah, it's awesome. I'm giving talks kind of throughout the day, and then you know there's some other coaches that you know split it up, and we talk about nutrition and um, mind skills training, yeah, um, which isn't my area, so I'm learning a lot too. And then today I got to talk about building a season's training plan for mountain bikers. It yeah. Was awesome. And you're saying the parents are more interested in, in the kids? No, the, like the other coaches, they loved that. Oh, so yeah. yeah, yeah, it's just uh, so no parents in this one. I think the parents are pretty keen to get involved, but um, yeah, everyone I think was enjoying the how to build a season thing. You know, we talked about easy training and um, our favorite. Yeah, yeah, and you know, so when you explain it the right way, people are like, oh yeah, well I can get faster by not going hard every day. Yeah, like oh that actually makes sense. So, yeah, it's been pretty cool. So another two days of that, and we obviously get out for some riding. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. What have you been up to? What have I been up to? Um, getting back, full back in the swing of training. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 120Ks last week of running. Barely any time for the bike. Yeah. Bit of time for work. Yeah. Bit of time for working on the endurance training hub, actually, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How's that going? Uh, good, yeah, a few more members, um, they're getting some t-shirts that have been ordered. Oh, oh, cool. oh man, have you ever, have you had stuff made up before? Yeah, I had like a small batch of t-shirts made and I have like, yeah. uh, riding clothes made. Yeah, I've got some kit, yeah, I've yeah. got a couple different cycling kits made up as well, but it just takes a long time, eh? Hey? Yeah, it Like does. the proofs and then you send it away and then they're like, oh, we don't have those sizes and... Yeah. That happened to you? I mean, <laughs> I just, like, I have one logo on a black like top you know it's not yeah, hard it's, and I'm like yeah. I can make this myself and do the proofs up myself but why is this taking so long yeah you know? <laughs> um, but yeah it is what it is yeah um, you, you want your own kit and like your own t-shirts and stuff yeah so I had one like the performance advantage running stuff was just uh, like the logo on a black t-shirt like my sponsor Selming Swedish running company, like, um, they just printed them up, so that was all good, but then I wanted to stand out a bit more, so I've got these, um, super sick designs for the endurance training hub members. Oh, cool. Yeah, so, and then with the new logo and new colour schemes and things, you've got to mix it up a bit. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, I wanted to bring something a bit new to the running scene, rather than just a logo on a t-shirt. It's, okay, I'm yeah. imagining something weird, <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, I'll leave it to your imagination. What? Yeah, I'll, I'll just you know we'll have to put a photo up when they're done. <laughs> Let's do it that way. Um, yeah, what else? Training just gone. The hundred k's coming around quick, man. Like it's about eight weeks now. Yeah. Um, so really picking it up. Um, feeling good though, and so yeah, I'm I'm happy with the way it's progressing with everything. How's your training? You training much? You don't train. Uh, no, I don't You're a full train. fun athlete. No, yeah, yeah, fun. Um, I did. Uh, I took two days off this week, which I haven't done in a really, really long time. I just it was raining and I was super busy, 
Um, I was like, oh, I'm just going to take two days off. So I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, like, you know, like, since I'm not training, I don't feel like I ever um, need a rest week, which is maybe isn't the best thing Yeah. Um, to do. I just kind of keep doing what I'm doing. Um, so yeah, it was nice to have two days off. And what I did, actually, instead of uh, riding is I spent some time rebuilding my suspension on yeah. my bike. So I never... Actually, we were on the phone while I did it. Yeah. <laughs> we were talking. I was like, hey, I just finished rebuilding my fork. Um, it was a pretty smooth process, actually. So I've always rebuilt RockShox stuff, but now I have Fox suspension, and I rebuilt that, and um, man, the, I took it apart, and it was just full of mud. Pretty really? Much. Yeah. Really? Yeah, it man, was disgusting. I haven't done anything to mine. Yeah, oh, like I've only had to bike a year, but... Yeah. Living in rotor roads, probably. <laughs> yeah, well, that's worth a you know a couple of years of riding. <laughs> so yeah, I, I was surprised, and you know we rode today with the hub camp, and it just felt so much better. It yeah. was like night and day. It took me like half an hour. Yeah. So yeah, that stuff's pretty important. Yeah, speaking of recovery, like I knew, so I've been. It's been six weeks now from coming back from like no running. Um, and my break and then getting back into it up to 120k's and in my plan and my and in my head I was like this week will be easier but then I was like actually I could probably I'm feeling pretty good oh, I boy. could just kick on you yeah. know and uh, we're Wednesday now and this morning's run like my chest hurt so first of all this is kind of, uh, I didn't tell you this but I thought I was having a heart attack oh one <laughs> yeah. of those yeah so I wasn't it was, um, it can just happen, uh, it was my intercostal muscles, I must have slept wrong, and it, they just sort of like seized up. It was kind of scary, but I like got the new Garmin, you know, so it's got oxygen saturation, heart rate and stuff. Okay, so you knew that like your... I was checking, yeah, yeah. My, my vitals okay. were fine. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I was planning on like an hour and a half, and then after, that happened at about 15 minutes, just after my warm up, you know, and I was like, damn, like... I need to chill out this week and then go with the original plan. But when you're going well, you're going well, you know, like you don't want to have to, like I just did a hundred, you know, I'd progressed consistently and then it was like, you know, I knew I needed to chill out and then I'd do my next six week block and be like, oh, I'm going, I'll get so much more fitter. Yeah. 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 Maybe you need a coach. Yeah, we've yeah. been talking about getting yeah. you a coach for a long time, but yeah. you know that chest stuff, like your heart hurt kind of thing, that's nothing to mess with. Like uh, I'm not sure. Like two weeks ago at the Andorra Cross Country World Cup, the leader just pulled over, right, and he let other riders by, and the reason he pulled over is because his heart rate was like at 230 beats per minute. Really? Yeah. So he was leading the World Cup at altitude, so that probably had something to do with it. He's going really hard, Andre Sink. And um, he just pulled over and, you know, group passed him and he got 10th. Yeah. You know, um, and like I've seen some weird things happen to my heart rate. And um, yeah, like I like if I do a race or something, my heart rate's still over 200 beats per minute. Um, and it kind of always has been. Yeah. Um, and one time I did a, a, I was doing a trial in the lab uh, for one of our PhD mates, Joe. And where we were like in the heat chamber exercising and um, we had to do a time trial for like 20 minutes and super super hot yeah and humid yeah, yeah. and um, my 
chest hurt for like two weeks. Uh, I remember I that so you hard. wouldn't stop complaining yeah, about yeah. it. I actually thought we I was going to die. Yeah, you did. Yeah. And we were like, oh man, it's such a pussy. Yeah, <laughs> and it hurt like it felt like... It felt like I had a cramp in my heart. And you got real angry at Joe about it. Yeah, well... For making you ride high. After that, I didn't do any more lab tests. That was yeah. the last one I ever did. I was like, forget it. I've done like a thousand of these already. I know what... Like, I know what the result is going to be. Like, I've done enough of these. I know what the result is. Can I just tell you? But... Yeah, so that was my last one. Yeah. My chest hurt really bad. So I know what you mean. Yeah. I had my um, heart checked out. After I went to, if you've listened back, if you've been one of the regular listeners, you know I had to go to hospital with dehydration during my marathon build-up. So as part of the like follow-up to that, I went and got my heart checked out. And so it was all good. So that gave me a lot of peace of mind as well. Like I had it professionally checked about, you know, two months ago and everything was yeah, fine. Yeah, you're all good. I remember you telling me that. I'm not sure if we said this on the podcast, but... I was like, oh, did they tell you you had a bundle branch blockage? Yeah. I was like, ha, 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 funny. Like, did they tell you that? And you're like, yeah. How did you know? I was like, oh, I didn't actually know, but that's what they told me when I had my heart checked. Yeah, one of those fitness spaces. Yeah. I actually can't remember what it is, but... Um, it's not actually because it sounds like a bundle branch blockage, and I was, like, thinking arterial block or um, something along those lines, but it's more to do with the... Uh, the way the nerve impulses yeah it's the timing kind of thing yeah Yeah. and it wasn't actually a big deal no there's no actual blockage no it's just an enlarged like section of the neural transmitter yeah it's just like a developed heart like they just don't see it like because most people that come in with heart pain are like you know they're in trouble you know kind of thing that's what they see so yeah well the machine picked it up automatically when i was in the hospital you know and that's the machine's like oh your heart rate's too low I'm like, really? <laughs> I think it's all right. It gets lower, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I'm not, like, super fanged and dehydrated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's what I've been up to, man. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, well, um, I I have a .com now. What? Yeah, I have a .com for smart MTB training. Yeah? .com, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's almost ready to launch, so I'm getting pretty excited, and, you know, it has all my training plans I've ever made, and yeah. some, and, you know... All this, all kinds of extra stuff. So, I'm getting pretty amped to launch that, and it should be within the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it's fun. It's yeah, fun. Yeah. Like having you can just share all your information and stuff, yeah. and not feel like you're giving too much away. Well, they're paying for it. <laughs> well, the thing is, like, I, I love working with athletes, but working with athletes one on one takes a ton of time. Like, I so I can only do like, like if I'm working with more than eight or ten athletes, I feel like each athlete isn't getting what they really need. Um, so, and you know the only other option is to kind of you know have a training plan online that they can get and that's a one off thing so like what I'm working on now and what you have is like they have access to everything if they want to talk to us they can uh, it's pretty good and it's just a way for us to help more athletes yeah and also it's hard with the one off training plan like that's it yeah. and they don't often I don't think I've ever been contacted from my one off plans um, whereas like with the, the endurance training hub, you can like, there's a lot of different plans, like yeah. different levels. They like an athlete can see like which one they are, yeah. they're, they're able to choose and then you can move it around and you like the online like calendar thing in there. Yeah. So, so you can pick a training plan and you can apply and it to your almost own. every member has emailed me 
yeah. said, hey, how does this look? Or And then I can easily just see their, yeah. their training calendar and move the workouts around, like which is pretty simple off of a already pre-made plan. Yeah. There's not the, the level of sort of, you know, one-on-one specificity. There is like other athletes, but it's awesome. It's a great. Yeah. And um, to find out more about it, like listen back a few episodes ago where we... Yeah, we interviewed the founder of the platform like yeah, the guy the that developer. made it. Yeah, yeah that was it's, cool. Yeah, yeah. He's based like where we're both in New Zealand. He's based in Auckland, like coincidentally enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Like an international web platform, and he's, you know, not too far away. So it's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. So last episode, Matt, got a lot of feedback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that pretty much leads on to the follow up, which is this episode. Yeah. Um, but you had some whole bunch of comments. Yeah. You said you'd read them out. Yeah, it was funny. I was like thinking back on, you know, I, I shared on MTB PhD Facebook. I was like, yeah, here's our latest podcast episode. Check it out. And then I posted some photos of me from the 24 oh, hour world. <laughs> yeah. So this is, you know, 2006, me racing. And I, yeah, Facebook would have just come out, I guess. And I had those on, those on Facebook. But um, I was like, you know, saying my journey through 24, like ultra endurance and stuff and how I probably wouldn't do it again, um, you know, because I've done it and I talked about how I had permanent nerve damage yeah. in my fingers, you know, I still can't feel the tips of my fingers and um, how, you know, my mouth would be bleeding. And I was like, <laughs> you know, in these races, my mouth would bleed. And um, I was like, surely I'm not the only one with these stories. So I was like, yeah, post up, you know, your craziest story. And um, so I'll just read some, a few of them from, from Facebook. And um, what, you know, is interesting for me, and uh, Joel said that 24-hour races are making a comeback. So I actually thought that they were, like, gone forever and that no one actually did them. Yeah. But he said, like, there's this core scene that's, uh, you know, they do these same 24-hour races every year, and, like, some of them are super popular. He's like, yeah, you should come to this one, Hardcore 24 in Naples, New York. And he gave me the date. Um, so... I was like, you know, I didn't say thanks for the invite. I probably should have, but <laughs> I was like, I don't see myself ever doing that again. I know Joel. We used to ride together, so, um, and uh, so we have a. So Steve left the comment. Um, his biggest lesson was don't forget the butt cream. So mm-hmm. um, without getting too graphic, um, you know, you can check it out if you want to read it. But he made it 14 hours before um, he started to have trouble, and we'll just leave it at that. You know. Um, he started, then he continued and he was standing the whole time, but he just couldn't sustain it. Right. You just can't stand for another 10 hours. Um, so he had to fly back home the next day and, um, had to soak his pants in the shower and he couldn't sit down or wear tight pants for days because his pants would get stuck. Yeah. So so stuck. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. So that's, that's pretty extreme. It actually reminds me of a story, not that graphic. But like I'm a I'm not a guy who gets tan. Like I'm, I'm you're a burner. I'm a burner. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. a burner, especially in the New Zealand ozone. Yeah. So what uh, I was doing a big swim set when I was training for a triathlon, like a big one, like a two hour swim set, and uh, outdoor fifty meter pool. You know, I turn up at maybe seven thirty, seven a.m. even um, in the summer, 
outdoor 50 meter you know there's the sun's barely out maybe it's cloudy or, or whatever and i'm in there for two hours and then the cloud burns off and i don't uh-huh. think about it i'm just in my speedos oh boy and so there's parts you know that that back of the thigh upper yeah. upper thigh yeah it's sensitive um, yeah it doesn't get yeah. a lot of sun and yeah. um that was excruciating to sit down for like a week yeah. you know when it goes beyond red and it goes purple um i do not okay. <laughs> yeah it, it, it hurts yeah okay yeah yeah um yeah yeah sunburn sucks I, that's why i always wear sunscreen um in new zealand for sure um, I guess the other comment was, um, John said he was talking about the Dirty Kanza, which is a 200 mile gravel race. In yeah. Kansas. If you want to see a cool footage on that, um, air first racing education first, the pro tour team, some of those guys did it, Taylor Finney and stuff. And there's a really cool video on their experience of it. Oh, cool. Yeah. On YouTube. Cause it was just like two months ago. Or yeah. 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 It yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah. I used to ride with the guy that uh, started that race actually. Um, but yeah, he would, so John was talking about um, the Dirty Kansas, and he says it's the best race he's ever done. Um, so it took him 15 hours, and he's never seen so oh, much Oh, wow, carnage. so he was right up there. Because that's pretty quick. John's pretty quick, yeah. Yeah, yeah John's pretty quick. Um, so yeah, like he says a lot of it's mental, um, and you, know, you need to make sure that you don't have any mechanicals. So he's done it three times, and two times it went well. Yeah. So I'm not sure which time was the bad one, but it sounds like he did pretty good this year. Yeah. But, you know, it's kind of interesting to me how, like, those kind of events, like, you know they're going to suck, um, but people love them. Like, they're just addicting. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, I was um, talking to someone about the, like, 100 miles running. You know, so I've run 100 Ks, and I remember when I, I was like, I do not want to keep going. I don't. I just want to see if I can do a hundred k's. That was sort of the why I was doing it. Needed some new motivation to train. Um, I was sort of like I didn't have the time availability for triathlon and Ironman anymore. So I was like, I'll run a hundred k's. So that takes you less time to train <laughs> for than a, a triathlon. Yeah, definitely. There's only okay. one sport, you know. Yeah. And just so I did the hundred k's, and I was like. It went all right, but not great. Like, I talked about it, fell apart, like, super struggled. Well, that was the one where you had a power meter, and you weren't looking at the power (laughs) meter. But I didn't understand it Uh, fully at the time. Yeah. Um, So then I went back, you know, the the year after, and had a really good race and paced it well. I was able to speed up at the end kind of thing. And then, um, but then was just off the podium. So then that was the next year I wanted to do it, and then got on the podium. So... Now, this year, I was thinking, like, maybe I should do 100 miles. Why? Like, why do I want to run that far? It's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's a bit far. Um, so, not just yet. Okay. So, so you're not writing it off. I'm definitely, I'm going to do it. Like, okay. I really want to do there it. It's just like, it's, gonna, it's not going to be a super fun experience, is it? No. Like, that like, sense of achievement is just, like, the, the pinnacle. And yeah. to work for it is, is cool. But, yeah, I don't know what, what is the driving motivator to, like, run for 20 hours. I mean, you're the kind of guy that would do a PhD. Yeah, that know, was in, way worse. That's the, You need some endurance for that, right? So yeah. um, you just like those kind of things that suck when you're doing them. And then when you're done, you're like, oh, yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, type 2 fun. <laughs> yeah. 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 So last episode. Yeah. 
Retail it was a good one. Ultra yep, I loved it. It was, and it was popular. Then I got the, one of the questions, comments that came back to me. was like, well, how long should I run for yeah. my long run? Yeah. And I have some theories around it. And in um, my training plans, I have like a, a, a running range, like the ready-made ones, um, because obviously... If you're coming in and then I'm coming in, I'm getting the same plan, we're going to be running different speeds. And so a lot of it's based off of heart rate, which is individual, but then also the long run needs to be long. Like yeah. if you're going to run 100Ks and it's going to take you, the average person, 15 hours plus kind of thing, like you can't be running two hours every other weekend. Yeah, you like we talked about it in like, you know, how to train for those kind of things a bit last week. We're like, you need to do at least one session like training session that's you know ridiculous yeah yeah but if you're doing something like a 100k run or you know a 24-hour mountain bike race you can't be like doing that in your training yeah so how long and i rang you up yeah and asked you like what do you base it off like because i was worried what i always try and do is base everything off of some sort of scientific principle yeah physiology or some stress response that is going to induce like a favorable adaptation yeah um and then i was worried what what am i why am i saying six hours in this instance um regarding the question why am i not saying five hours 43 minutes or 6 15 you know um we used to talk about this a lot actually yeah um but uh you know you you hit google and you know where'd you find it google Nothing. Yes, nothing. Nothing. So I went into Google to see what's what. What are other people basing their um, recommendations off? Nothing. You know, there was two thirds your your estimated duration, two thirds your distance, at least fifty k's for a hundred k's. There was no more than three hours is fine. Like there's a lot of stuff out there, but it, and it was some of it, and they had attempted to sort of justify their recommendation. Um, but then when I went through it, I was like, I went into Google Scholar <laughs> to try and get some science on it. And that was even pretty hard. Um, but I really found two, I guess, defining reasonings or principles that you could base how long you should run or ride, I guess. But running, in, in my instance, a long run, depending on how fit you are. And what it came down to is it doesn't actually matter how long you're going to run, like how long the event's going to take you. It more matters on your actual, what your training load is at one point in time. Okay. Yeah. So like you train at this level consistently, right? And because that's all you can manage because, you know, you have kids, um, you have a job and you have like uh, this car that you've been working on in your garage and you like, (laughs) shine the paint every night um so you're busy right so you only have so much time to train yeah and you do that every week yeah but you still want to do a 100k race yeah because yes for reasons <laughs> right yeah um so all you have to do is you know maybe do one super big run so the there's the longest run and then there's your long run so what I mean by this is like what we talked about a lot last week. 
I was like, you need that crazy session. Like, if you're going to be out there 15 hours, you need to know what it's going to be like to be tired and be on your feet for eight hours. You know, like, just to understand what your body's doing, what your clothes do. You know, you're saying how, like, you would chafe on the top tube just from balancing your bike. Yeah, yeah, You'd yeah. never experience that three hours no kind way. of thing. Yeah. Um, so you need to do that. So the longest run then we agreed was mental with very small portion physical because you can't expect to get fit or like ridiculously huge improvement in fitness by going like long once. Like if you did it every single weekend or like twice a week, then it's part of your training. Like you should, that's going to incorporate some level of stress adaptation. But just doing it once, like if you run two hours every weekend and then you run eight hours, you can't expect to get four times the benefit from it. I mean, no, if it's that much bigger than what you normally do, you're just going to get pretty tired from it. Yeah. Aren't you? But you also need to do it. Like, yeah. But, and so that's what we're saying. Like it's not, it's not physical or physiological. Like it's, it's just mental in that sense. It's like, I just need to go out there at whatever pace I can sort of sustain, preferably around your, your goal pace on similar terrain and test it all out. But then it came back to, so then there's the long run. You also need to train for 15, a 15 hour event. This is sort of what I was basing around 15 to 24 hours kind of thing. But no one's, not no one, but almost no one has the time to run three hours every day of five hours in the weekend, eight hours in the weekend. You know, so where, where can, like, where do you find out how long you should be running? Because a training plan may say one thing, but that could be based on a huge array of principles yeah. um, that aren't specific to you. Yeah. Yeah. I think we used to argue about this a lot, actually. Um, this was back when I first started my PhD and we, like I had come from, you know, my experiences and my knowledge background, you had come from your own and, um, you know, remember I had a coffee machine in my office, an yes. espresso machine, Yes. not Nespresso, espresso, like <laughs> proper one. Like it was pretty sick and we just make coffees. Yeah. Um, and I had a couch in my office. Yeah. This is my university <laughs> office. Like this was awesome. Um, couch and a coffee machine so we would talk about stuff um, usually like training and things like that and you know at that point I had just uh, worked with Seamus Powell and he had won two national titles um, one and like he won a hundred mile mountain bike race uh, like he had an amazing season on a super low volume training like he was training like, like, I guess super low volume for a professional. Like, some of his long weeks were, you know, pretty long. And, um, but, you know, in general, he's doing high intensity, low volume. And to me, since he was doing so well on it, I was like, no, Will. Like, this is how you train. Like, and I remember one of the things I said to you was, well, what brings about an adaptation? Is it duration or is it intensity? And you were like, and I said, well, it's intensity. That's exactly what I said. And you're like, no, it's not. It's volume. Um, and, you know, what, what I went on to do is figure out that actually that is true. And the only reason that it was working for Seamus is, um, you know, he was super fit and we were measuring his, 
is everything, like his threshold power and everything like that. And he was super fit, but this low volume training was working for him just because of all this massive amount of overtraining and stuff like that he had done for years and years. Um, so he was kind of, it was almost like a multi-year periodization kind of thing that now this was working for him. And it's the same things that Sam Shaw said when we did his interview, talking about how is he so good at enduro and XC. He's talking about how he used to train heaps, and then he got really fit by training only a little bit. It's like that multi-year periodization thing. Yeah. It goes back to this whole thing that actually you do need this volume to actually get fitter. Yeah. Like you actually need it. Yeah. That's the only way for it to happen. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Kind of for the available, you know, time availability. But it doesn't mean you can't be fit without no, ever doing then, volume. So what I, the, the conclusion, um, like I put together, was you really had two things. You had your overall fitness level, and then you had your past training volume or load, right? So for me, I can run um, a marathon in two hours 40 or a bit quicker, right? So for me to, to run for six hours... Like that's that's a large a distance training load because I'm running the whole entire time and I can sustain like quite a high level of intensity. So six hours is huge. And what does that offer me in terms of fitness and gain? Um, and how much does that go above my current training volume? You know, so if I'm training 12 hours a week and then I'm trying to run half of it as a as a long run and I'm running the whole thing that becomes like really stressful so for me in this instance six hours is too much just to do continuously if my training loads 12 hours right um, because I'm at the point where I'm fit enough to be able to run that duration but it's creating too much fatigue that I'm not really able to adapt to it and it's not adding to my fitness. And in the end, like we said at the beginning, it's fitness that wins. Like the fitter you are, the, the faster you'll be able to run or the longer you'll be able to run at a slower pace and in the end that will help you. So then if you go back to someone who's more like a five-hour marathoner and their predicted time or duration you know for the for 100 cases going to be more around that 15 17 hours um and they're the person who's probably thinking i need to run even longer you know more consistently six hours but again we can we can look at their fitness level so their their fitness level is at a certain point because they're they're running five hours for a marathon um and if you are then to say all right now well, go for eight hours. Like we can calculate someone's fitness. Yeah, so we can use it was based is. off of the percentage of VO two max. Yeah. Right. Um, so VO two max being like your maximal aerobic fitness state, essentially like your ceiling for for endurance exercise. Yeah. Um, so you got that ceiling. My ceiling's really high, and then I can operate at a certain percentage of that ceiling. So if I worked on my efficiency, I could work even higher closer to that ceiling um, and then the less fit you are you sort of drop away you know so for a marathon about 80 percent 
of your VO2 max is what the, the general average runner can operate at. Um, once you start looking at, um, you know, um, Kipchoge, who's going for the sub two hour, like he's getting closer to 90%. Um, and he has a higher VO2 max. So those two things combined make him exceptionally fast. But anyway, like scientifically, mathematically, we can work out like a certain fitness level. And there's a 20% slowing down in your marathon pace versus your 100k pace. So is this kind of across the board? like? Yeah, yeah. So that's just um, you operate at 65% of VO2 max on average. Like scientifically, the studies have shown this is where people are operating. Uh, that's the sort of ceiling for the average 100k runner. And then we know that 80% for a marathon. So you got 80% and you got 65%. And that difference, although it only sounds like 15% in VO2 max, is actually a 20% slowing down in okay. pace. Um, so then when we look at that, because the average pace for a, a marathon, like a, um, a five-hour marathon, is like seven-minute Ks. Yeah, seven you could minutes. almost walk that, couldn't you? Uh, it's, it's what people consider the limit of running. Okay. Um, slower than seven minute case so this is average right so yeah so like i'm making like a lot of assumptions here yeah. and this is taken from a large cohort over yeah. 100 200 300 runners i think they took um to elicit like to get these numbers out um there's variation but this is the average so then from from seven minutes per k if you're slowing down from that you're getting at like nine minutes per k and that is a walk, isn't it? That is like on average, like you're walking if you're doing nine minutes. Your mar- yeah, your marathon yeah. in this time. Yeah, you know, you might be running sometimes, you might be stopped other times, but on average, yeah, yeah. So then, minutes. if if you're if you're a five hour marathon runner, and you're wanting to run longer, do longer runs for your ultra, um, you have to slow down just because that's the physiology of it. You can't consistently hold that pace. And once you start slowing down, now you're starting to get to the point where you're not really able to run because it's like it's too slow. And now you're not gaining enough fitness because there's not enough stress. Mm. So now you can go for six hours like I can, but there's too much stress for me. And then now, now there's not enough stress for a five-hour marathon runner. And so in this instance, it's better for them to find a pace of probably around three hours for which they can run Mm. that entire duration, maybe even two and a half or two, two to four hours, somewhere in there, where it's going to be enough that they can run, enough that they can still recover and still continue their training. Um, And then that's going to be the same for me, you know, enough that I can run at a good rate but still incorporate enough other training throughout the week that I'm getting a consistent training load. And that'll get me fitter. And then, you know, once a month, you can put in some larger ones um, for the, like, mental, mental physical training. Yeah. And then So what would you be aiming for then for yourself, duration-wise, for your long run? For, uh, for yourself. So you're going out for your longest run of the block. 
how long is that going to be? Are you still going to be aiming for that six hours, or are you yeah. going to cut it down? Yeah, I'll aim for about six hours for me. And then, like, I also know myself quite well, and I know beyond that four-hour mark, I really start to deteriorate. Mm. So that block, but then that's also why it's very important to stress that level of the system. Yeah. Um, and you also have to remember, you know, for the 100Ks I'm doing in a few weeks, that's going to take me somewhere between nine and uh, eight and nine hours. So six hours is like quite a large portion of that. Yeah, so you're closer to that two-thirds recommendation that yeah, people yeah. always talk about. Yeah, um, so you also then, that's like the fitness side of things to look at. Then when you look at the overall training load, the review of the literature shows the injury threshold for oh, a yeah. runner. So this is really important. So that's 20 to 30%. So there's a like sort of one of, what do you call it? Um, not flagship studies, but one of those. Like a review. Ground, there was oh. one of those groundbreaking studies where it hadn't really been done before. And then they, they actually did it. They collected huge amount of data on three levels of training progression. Yeah, I saw that. That That's a pretty cool paper. You're Ten. writing a, a, like a, your own article on the paper. Yeah, kind of. I'm, yeah. But I'm also incorporating like the fitness side of things. Yeah, they yeah, only yeah. did the training load. Okay. So they had 10%, 20 to 30%, and 30 and over 30% progression in training load. So you know, you've probably seen somewhere no more than 10%. Right, so they showed between above 10% and pretty much up to 30%, there was no real differentiation. In injury? In injury. Okay. Um, but they didn't take into account fitness and there was some, um, what would you say, skew or bias towards the less fit people. People with a lower training load, like if I'm running 120 k's a week or 100 miles a week or something, for me to increase 30% of that, if we're just looking at mileage, like that's going to be what, like an extra 45 k's? Mm. Huge. It'd be like going 100 miles to 200 k's or 160 to 200. That's huge. If someone's averaging 40 k's a week and they increase by 30%, that's 12 k's yeah. in, in the week. Which isn't it is. It's like a one extra run kind yeah, of thing, yeah. like an extra hour and a bit. Um, but they're also less likely to get injured, right? Which is good. Like, yeah, yeah, for for the um, increase. But we can look at that data as a whole and show that once you start getting closer to that thirty percent increase in your training load, then you can then you're 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 just you rolling the dice as to whether you're going to get injured. Yeah. And we know consistency is the key. Fitness is the winner on the day. So if that's going to impact your fitness, then it's not worth it. It's not worth doing that 30%. So that's where you can look back, what is my training load? And there's a whole various ways, like Strava gives you relative effort, I think. And yeah. TSS and training peaks, um, trip score, heart rates, garment. Yeah, we talked about these. So you can look at it, right, and go, what is that training load? What does it equate to? So let's say it's three one-hour runs during the week and a two-hour run in the weekend. And then you just add 30% on that. So that training load is 100 units. Now you've got 130 units. Like, what is 30 units to you? That might be an extra hour of running. 
So that's not really going to help you get towards like 10 hours or something, is it? Yeah, sure. So, but in terms of training load, you could be well on your way to getting more fit, couldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, you could. Yeah. Um, so one of the things like that's worth looking at is if you're, you know, you you have that 100 units and it's three one-hour runs during the week and a two-hour on the weekend, and you're thinking about jumping up to six hours, you really need to look at what you're doing in the week leading up to that weekend big run um, because you're actually increasing your training load by like 50%. And the data shows like you really rolling the dice. Yeah. So there's those two things really, like that fitness level as to whether you're gaining fitness by doing this. Um, and look, like we're completely ignoring enjoyment or just the fact that you love to be out in the woods for for hours on end. Yeah. Or, um, this is just like I was trying to find a scientific reasoning behind the level of which you can increase your long run or you should be running, you know. Um, and and this is what I found. Was, so obviously someone who's looking up, you know, if they're go- typing this into Google, they're obviously interested in running longer. <laughs> so, yeah, it won't appeal to everyone, but, you know, it obviously has its place. Yeah, and a lot of it was also for me to make sure that my recommendations were accurate or at least like they were founded on some sort of principle that wasn't going to cause someone to to get injured yeah you know because one of the hardest parts man you know like writing these training plans that potentially we have no input into is the risk that someone overdoes it or underdoes it and just doesn't enjoy it so yeah. I was trying to find a way that would allow someone to go like a decision tree like i have run this and i've you know, I've run this long in the weekend and um, you your long run, say, two to four hours. I've been doing two hours, so now the increase is four hours, not the six-hour, that kind of thing. Yeah. I've always struggled with, like, picking, like, because what's a, a long ride, you know? Um, is four hours long? Is six hours long? Is eight hours long? <laughs> you know, it's like... I think for me, when I think about it, it comes down to a couple of things. Um, and one of them is like, we only have so much time in the day, you know? So if you're going to do a long ride or a long run, like eight hours is, that's a pretty long time, right? <laughs> yes. so, then, so like a, something normal that, you know, would someone would stick with is like a four or six hours for a long ride. Yeah. And it's like, well, why not 10? You know, and that was when I was would get really annoyed at, you know, high volume training. I was like, why not twelve? Why don't you just never go to sleep? <laughs> um, but yeah, we do only have so much time in the day, and we don't want to get injured. Uh, we just need enough volume to kind of bring out these stresses, and the timing of the these long um, rides or runs they need to be relative to our training, as he said, um, and they. They just need to be towards a goal and with whatever that goal is. So if it's a mega long, then it needs to be a kind of a one-off mega long kind of thing. And if it's a normal long run or <laughs> ride, then it needs to be something that you can do regularly. Yeah, and start to increase some intensity within it Yeah, as well. Um, yeah, it, it is a hard one. And what I find really interesting when you come back to it is it's recovery. 
right? Why not ride for 10 hours every day? Why not run six hours every day? Like you will get better. Like just the physiology of it suggests like this is how you will, if you run more, if you do anything more with correct technique, like purposeful practice, you'll get fitter. You'll utilize oxygen, fat, carbohydrates, muscles, become more dense, more mitochondria, everything. But you can't run six hours every single day and run at a certain level to elicit the right response. You'll just get slower and slower if you don't get injured. You get more tired, horrible technique, and then by I don't know how long. You know, some people obviously can do these crazy, like, run across America kind of yeah things um but those kind of like it's like tour riders that you know about in training they'll do easy 150 mile rides yeah you know like that's going to take you eight hours yeah right well if you go back to karen's episode we did 40 hours one week within his training camp that's a lot yeah and we included a lot of intensity and it was like gave him a huge boost but he literally was he was living with like a, a um sports therapist and he had those normatec boots he had spa he had amazing nutrition he did nothing like nothing and that's not sustainable one the stress on his body was like at his utmost limit but also just he had to be mentally concentrating every single session Mm. you know and you you can't do that all the time no no yeah but it and it takes a long time to build up to that too well, that's, and that's, and that's the, the 30% rule. Like, you you can look at what other people are doing, but you don't know their progression to get yeah. there. Yeah, it needs to be relative to yourself, really. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, What? so when I'm thinking about, like, uh, someone, you know, maybe they can't run for eight hours, and, you know, maybe you can't either. What about doing something low intensity like a hike or something like that? Do you think that has enough... Is there any way to build in stress in something like that? There, it depends on what kind of runner you are, where your fitness level is. For me, to hike for eight hours is definitely going to help in terms of like leg strength and stamina. But it's only going to help little because the... You know, that percentage of VO2 max, that stress level at which I can hike for eight hours is is not going to be huge. Yeah. Um, and walking is a lot different muscles than running. Um, so, like, it will help, but only to a certain point. Yeah. It's sort of like, how much is swimming going to help a mountain biker? Well, I can tell you I don't swim and I'm still living. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but so it's going to help because but the crossover, you know, like how much is road cycling going to help mountain biking? A lot. There's a lot of crossover. Yeah. Um, and just because you're on your feet, one's hiking. But then hiking, for someone who is more like that five hour... That's what they're doing, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's going to, like, but they're then operating in that zone too. So this was part of it as well. When I went through, I was like, you know, there's enough scientific evidence out there to to show, to not be argued that zone two is the best bang for buck training. You know, that um, fat burning, aerobic zone, whatever you want, however you want to refer to it, like you can train too easy and you can train too hard and there's a sweet spot. So then it becomes like when you're running long or riding long, 
Are you going so long that you're too low? And then you're going not long enough that it's too high? And, you know, it's, or just that the overall stress is too high. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's pretty cool stuff. Um, yeah, it took me like a day and a half. <laughs> yeah, at least. And you're not done with the article yet. So no. <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a mission. But I think that kind of stuff's helpful for people. Um, especially because everyone's looking for like the people just want the answer. Well, do you know what would be awesome if everyone used running power meters? Because all of this information, in terms of like an Ironman, um, which is a good reference point because it's 180 k's, it's always 180 k's kind of thing. You can look at power levels and sustainable power levels and an increase in percentage of someone's power like that's how much they increased because they always rode at 200 watts their threshold is 250 watts they can ride at 80 percent for this long otherwise they stop and you can do that uphill downhill whatever and if you try and ride at 200 watts that and for five hours that equals this many stress points you try and do it for 10 hours that's too many stress points and doesn't work there's lots of data on that because uh, it's so objective. It's like, this is how much effort you're putting in. Yeah. Kind of thing. But then in running, it's like, oh, who knows? Just because power meters haven't been around long enough. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, they're only just getting to the point where they're, they're super accurate as well. Yeah. Um, and, and even then, they're, they're not a direct measure. But they at least still provide a way that we can look and I just did. I just put up a video of looking between a trail run and a road run, because previously, like, where's all this data coming from? Is this a thirty percent increase in road running, or a twenty percent increase in trail running? And are we just looking at distance? Because I can spend fifteen hours running on the trails and run a hundred and something k's, and I can spend the same fifteen hours and run like two hundred k's on the road. Just maybe not, but you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then cycling, you have power. Yeah, pa powers. You know, that's why everyone needs a power. Meter, really. <laughs> um, we're gonna get a, we're gonna get two into one of your most favorite topics. So I think yeah. we should. No, but up. I think it, that is good. And we were talking about this uh, earlier tonight because I got an ad, right? Um, <laughs> for Texas chicken. For Texas chicken, right? So um, Will and I always talk about like this fried chicken place. Texas chicken, because, like, you know, once we get together, we're like, we're like, you want to get Texas chicken? He's like, yup. I got an ad for Texas chicken, um, and I'm not sure, like, if it was just listening to us. I still think that Google listens to us and Facebook listens to us. But, um, you know, the other, op the other possibility is that it just knows that Will and I are together, and that when we're together, you know, we get Texas chicken. Okay? So that's just, that's an example showing that how data is used, right? And um, so the, our phones tells us that we want Texas chicken. We didn't even know we wanted Texas chicken <laughs> until we saw that, right? Um, and power meters are kind of the same way. I see them as the same way. Like our data is going somewhere whenever we upload it, like all our data, and we agreed to give that away when we signed up for whatever platform it is. Um, and that data is going to be used to help us get better, right? It's going to give us our Texas chicken when we don't even know we want Texas chicken. 
Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe they're getting closer with, you know, so many people having bike power meters. And they'll get closer once more people have running power meters. They're going to be able to tell you what you want and what you need. Yeah, and they are, you know, um, Zwift and Trainer Road and um, Sufferfest, uh, Strava is a bit of, like, they're able to better interpretate, like, your, interpret your training. Yeah. And say, like, this is probably what you should do now, and this is what you should do next week. And because, you know, to a point, especially something like Zwift, where it's like a complete online sphere world, you don't, yeah. You are the human on the other end of the numbers. Yeah. Rather kind, you know, kind of thing, so. Yeah. It, it, with most, uh, so with a lot of things, like computers do a way better job than humans. With a lot, like, you know, calculator. Like, it's <laughs> it's, it's just faster, right? Um, and better. It's not going to make a mistake. Like, I might make a mistake doing a longhand calculation or in my head. Um Training is kind of one of those things where I'm not sure, uh, like it's not there. And because that's because like training, there's no exact science to training. There, there's still a lot of intuition and um, application of principles and outside factors when you're working with an athlete that um, a human coach that knows what they're doing is going to be better than an algorithm. Um, and we, you know, we get kind of close and when we make training plans, we make them to kind of work f for most people. Um, but I think, you know, when we're working directly with an athlete, we're always going to, at least until training science is perfect, we're going to be better at interpreting the data than a computer. Yeah. For at least the near future. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, that's getting a bit AI on us, but you know that we like that's what they're doing with our data. Like these companies are trying to figure out how to, you know, give us what we need. Um, yeah, yeah, you can track a certain level, right? Like if this is your five k time, and the people who ran under twenty minutes did at least this amount of training. Yeah, and then but it, and then it comes back to, and we'll we'll finish on this. We'll finish on. The data integrity, like the amount of times heart rate monitors shoot up and, um, you know, your wrist-based heart rate monitor or you don't wear it on a super easy ride. Now that data is not included and now it looks like you only trained hard or you only trained easy or um, it's real. And then it's really hard. It just skews everything. Um, and part of it, and you also have training zones, which I'm a huge fan of, heart rate-based training zones. But I was just catching up with an athlete on Monday and they were one beat above their zone two, right? For, um, it was like a two hour run for 30 minutes, they were one beat above. Ah, throw it away. <laughs> and, uh, and cause I looked at it, I was like, oh, what zone? I was like, Jesus, that's, you know, what's, um, that's 25% of the time was in zone three, you know, the gray zone, like the no train zone mm. kind of thing. For this aerobic two hour run, I was like, wait, they're only one beat over. You know, but now that data's there. Like when I'm looking at zone analysis for the week or the month, it's like, well, now I've got like a really skewed percentage. Yeah, well, zones are great, but they're not. They're also not an exact science because they're based on yeah. But that's where you need data. the. I guess the like I looked at that. Yeah. Person. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. Anyway, Matt, we've probably gone on long enough. Um, Never long enough, William. <laughs>
Now, I'm sure the listeners might disagree. All right, then. Until next week, Matthew. We'll see you then. Awesome. Have a good one.